0: Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: If you were going to explain the Trinity to someone, what's the best or worst illustration you have heard
0: well there uh, there's no best i thought you were going to open up with like explain the trinity <laughs> i was like man <laughs> this is <laughs> this is if you could just explain no warm really up quickly no. yeah just uh i think well like you've got you've got all these illustrations um that we're familiar with the clover Three leaf Water. clover. What's
1: wrong with th- three leaf clover? It's got three <laughs> That's leaves. It's, Patrick. it's one plant. What? <laughs> it, I, it does it not. Does it not work? What's the What's the big deal?
0: No, like so we we end up with like all these different illustrations because it's difficult to understand and unpack the Trinity. I think and and um, and I think also we're unfamiliar with like, you know, our origins. I think we're unfamiliar with the creeds and things like that and how. Historic Christianity has, has explained the Trinity, and so mm-hmm. we end up trying to illustrate it to make it make sense in our minds, and I think it's probably well-meaning people that try mm-hmm. to do that. But uh, probably the, wor- the worst one I've heard, um, I mean, the clover is pretty bad. Uh, clover, water, egg are all very similar, and they're they're pretty bad. What's wrong with the water one? I think the one? worst one.
1: What's wrong what's with that? What's wrong with it? Well, come on. Not, listen, you're crushing all of our... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I mean, this is how we understand. What, what's so? What's the big deal? It's partialism, Patrick. <laughs> um, so you end up with the the clover, obviously being um, you, you know you kind of have the the example is like it's one plant, and then you've got the petal over here that's the father. The petal over here is the son, and then another petal is the Holy Spirit. And so the biggest problem with it is it ignores the four leaf clover. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> uh, the biggest problem with wow. it. Is obviously that um, that any one of those petals is not the whole clover. It's Not the other, which is the yeah, which is the problem. Yeah, so like you take let's remove two of the petals and just have the sun petal, mm-hmm. quote unquote. You don't have a clover at that point. You just have a petal. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. basically, the the biggest problem with it is that's not how the Trinity is represented to us. Not in Scripture. Not in historic Christianity. Uh, not in anywhere, um, you know. I'm reminded of of several passages, Hebrews one, um, that that deal with Jesus being the full representation of God. In Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Colossians, and and so so is He basically God or is he the full representation of God? Um, I, I mean, He he says to His disciples. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, which a petal of a clover can't say. Mm -hmm. So um, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So um, I don't think that we can see Jesus and hear Jesus define himself that way and say that he is only part of, of God, or he is one part of God, or that he is just the mere like representation of God, like he's an ambassador uh, of God. Merely, I- obviously, he represents the Lord. There's no question about that. But, but that he is God, mm-hmm. um, and that because he can say of himself, "If you have seen me, you have seen the Father," mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, I, I kind of take that at, f- at face value mm-hmm. that there's no separating the essence of um, the father and the son, though we do separate the person.
1: So the bit, the problem with water, ice and uh, steam, I guess the other one is they they can't all be each other at the same time. Right. That would, that would be what we call modalism. You can yeah. you can only show up in one at a time Or all three separately, but you can never be all of them at once. You can't be water, ice, and steam at the same time. That's why the that's why all of those illustrations fall apart.
0: Yeah, water couldn't say of itself, "If you have seen me, you have seen ice." Right, because that's not true. Right, you can know water and have no concept of ice. Um, so you know it, it. It's you end up with all of these illustrations just fall short of what the Bible actually says Jesus actually is. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but obviously the creeds too that that really help us kind of unpack the language a little bit, help us understand at least to some extent the language of what Jesus is saying about himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, you know, I think, you know, in a situation like modalism, where y- you basically have uh, God just representing Himself, which I think is where you were going with your other question, mm-hmm. representing Himself in three varieties. So some somebody somebody might say like a oneness Pentecostal would say of God that in the Old Testament you have a, a an example of of God the Father um, who kind of. Represent represents himself one way, and then in the New Testament you have, it, especially in the Gospels, you have uh, God representing himself as the Son to humanity to save them, and then in the kind of New Testament church era from the epistles on, you have uh, God representing himself by the Spirit, and mm-hmm. so he's kind of representing himself in three different varieties. But where modalism ultimately fails is obviously what we're celebrating, the the death coming up here on Friday, the the death of, or I guess, Friday after this airs. Um, The death of Christ would be uh, three days without God in the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) if he's just merely representing uh, himself as the Mm Son. And so we're clearly dealing with already, we kind of have the formulation of God as three persons, and yet Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, all sharing the same uh, substance or essence. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and we would go so far to say, um, along with like the, the Nicene Creed kind of language and picture, the the Father is the Son, the Son is the um, you know, God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Spirit, or the Spirit is God, vice versa. And also, at the same time, uh, the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Father. So you have that mixture of three in one. Right. And uh, I remember a few years ago, some um, uh, one of the uh, women in our church that uh, speaks American Sign Language showed me the uh the the sign for Trinity which it begins in three and it goes behind your hand and and becomes one on you know behind your hand talking to the other person and again it's you know it's an illustration it's a sign but I think it's helpful it's it's three here it's one here and you there is a way that it just is hmm. uh, you have to hold several things at one time uh, to to understand it Yeah. Um, Not not even to understand it, but just to hold Scripture as true, to say everything that Scripture is saying, uh, which, whether you call it a paradox, whether you call it a mystery, whether you call it, it it even seems contradictory to say that you can be three and one. Um, What do you think about marriage being an example of oneness, where you, you know, in, in marriage you are two made one, we're not two, you know, our bodies aren't. You know, you know, welded together, but Paul calls us one flesh in marriage. Is it the same same kind of union? Is there something to—is uh, one built
0: off the other? Is there any similarity there, or—I do don't know, what do you think? I've heard this illustration before, and I, and I, I really don't think it's very helpful at all. Um, and the main reason being that um, I cannot say, if you have seen me, you have seen my wife— I mean, you would walk away thinking my wife was as ugly (laughs) as sin if I said that.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah,
0: I was going to, I'm just going to let it go. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I I just, for, I mean, obviously the two in one versus the three in one, that's obviously at issue, but, but then I, I just don't think it's that helpful. I mean, what, what does it actually, what does it actually help us to understand, um, you know, the one fleshed union is, you know, a spiritual reality, but it's not an actual reality. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Not a physical reality, Mm -hmm. I should say. Um, Whereas that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is saying when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, obviously he's talking about all facets of his personality, his just his, his representative nature, but also his very character, his very essence, his very being is a perfect representation of God, the Father. And mm-hmm. he's telling his disciples that. So I just don't think there's any husband that would dare say that about his wife, <laughs> and, you know, uh, and, and vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. probably too. And so then if that's, if, if people might give me that, if they would say, okay, I grant you that, then my question would be, then what help does that actually give us in understanding the the Trinity? I, I think it's, it's okay to say, mm-hmm. look, there is some mystery to it. Mm-hmm. We can't represent it by any, represent the Trinity by any, you know, illustration, earthly illustration. Shocker, God is different right mm-hmm. like like he 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 is there is a a transcendence to him that is that that makes him different mm-hmm. than what could possibly represent him on earth and and he's told us that from the beginning that that we shouldn't have images of him because and i, I think maybe in part that is because there is no representation that could adequately capture who he is and so um so i think it, it's not without warrant that we could say he can't be illustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, his nature can't really be illustrated. Mm-hmm. We can understand it to an extent. I mean, he's he's given us uh, an adequate description, and I think even historic Christianity has done a pretty good job of, of sort of fleshing out those terms in as much as we can mm-hmm. and giving us at least some categories in our brain to kind of to kind of understand at least a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't think it's beyond um you know uh I think it's I think it's within reason that we can say, mm-hmm. look, there are aspects of God that are gonna be difficult for us to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, or impossible to understand in its entirety. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would you say though there's two there's two extremes that we could go. One of them is God is so transcendent, uh, His His three in one nature. We should not be looking for that anywhere in creation. Um, it's nowhere to be found. No union like that. No uh, mystery like that exists. The other extreme uh, would be to say it's everywhere, right? It's in you know, it's in the sky. It's in the atmosphere. It's in all the plants. It's in marriage. It's in government. It's in you know god just kind of put his himself in everything i would push back a little bit and say i wonder you know like an example is the earthly temple and the heavenly temple just as a picture of god putting things on earth that image things in heaven and the the role of adam being an image the role of eve being an image where god by God's design and decree, has imaged Himself on the earth, in in all of mankind, and also in the in the union between man and woman. It's not a it's not a perfect trinitarian connection. Oh, there's you know God works, uh, God is united like this in the Trinity, and then He just implanted that kind of union into marriage. I don't think it's that direct, um, but God has so much of Himself in creation. Um, that the trouble, I think, becomes when we begin to say, oh, look at marriage, that's what God's like, rather than starting with God and seeing, has he put himself, uh, our understanding of him, a revelation of himself uh, in his creation um, so that he could be understood and experienced um, by revelation in his word, but also in everything that he's created.
0: The, I think the biggest problem we run into. This is another huge problem with marriage, also as being an illustration, is that we don't. His word doesn't tell us that that's what it's designed to depict. Mm-hmm. That cre- the created order he never tells us is designed to depict um, the his, the trinitarian aspects of his character. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Paul tells us, you know, his divine nature is revealed to us in 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 nature what he is like. Mm-hmm but the trinitarian aspects of his uh, of his care of his nature that he doesn't tell us that that's what it's designed to depict in marriage the you know the biggest problem too that i have with that is it's right, so like in ephesians he,
1: you've got he, paul saying christ, the mystery of christ the mystery of marriage is that it reflects christ and the church so you have paul yeah, saying and, and this is what he this tells is, us right yeah, and you don't have that the for the illest, trinity where paul exactly. says the tr- you know this setup you know the um the the church the temple and the lamb they're they're the trinity or, or you know something yeah. like that we don't have that
0: it, and i think if you want the the illustration of the trinity in um you know a tangible form i, I guess really you would have to say it's jesus mm-hmm. i mean he he would be the 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 only way that God has really chosen to illustrate that aspect of his character on earth, where like Hebrews 1, 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Um, and so in Christ, he tells us and he shows us there is a difference between the Son and the Father and the Spirit. And he tells us that there's a, a difference. Uh, he, he says the Father's greater than I. He says he's going to send the, send the helper uh, afterwards. You know, th- So that he's telling us that there is a difference between the three. And yet he also says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. The author of Hebrews says he's the exact imprint of his nature. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say what's the illustration of the Trinity? How do we understand it? Well, if you understand Jesus and you understand the words that are coming out of his mouth, <laughs> then I suppose I suppose that would be the illustration of the Trinity that, that God has, you know, chosen to give. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if there is an illustration of the Trinity, I would say that. I would say, let, let, let's try to understand who Jesus is. And in understanding Jesus, that will help us Understand the, the relationship that the Trinity has, and, and what what that really is, what that means. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's helpful. And one of the things I think the uh, some of our early church father creeds do uh, well for us still, and what they did then was state clearly and doctrinally what Scripture is saying, without trying to illustrate it in an image. Uh, and it gets so we see things, and I'm I'm looking at the Athanasian Creed. It's it's uh, later and uh, a bit more explicit in uh, Trinitarian language than uh, the Nicene Creed. The Athanasian Creed. Um, yeah, we don't really. Not everyone holds that Athanasian or that Athanasius himself actually wrote it. Um, but it's attributed to him in his time frame. Um, But he says explicitly, giving him credit, um, the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit, and yet there are not three almighty beings, but one who is almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So I just I just love the language of you, you read that and you, and you might immediately go, okay, but how can that and it just it just sits there? That's that's what 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 else can you say? They are three who are God, but there are not three gods. There's okay. one God. And scripture seems to speak this way. Right. Um we we're preaching in John 8 last week at our church. Um uh going through uh a, a series around Easter called we're calling what is Jesus walking through Greg Gilbert's book, Who is Jesus? A really I think uh, it's a great helpful simple book. And in we looked at the passage in John 8 when uh, there's a great moment in the Bible when the Pharisees and the Jews are interviewing Jesus. And if you can imagine an interview, Jesus gets a microphone put in his face and they ask him, Who are you? I mean, you just think, I think that's really helpful to think about there being a chapter in the Bible where Jesus gets asked, Who are you? And we're going to mm-hmm. get his answer. They mm-hmm. don't like his answer and they, in fact, uh, come to accuse him. Of being uh, a half-breed Samaritan and filled with a demon—that's what they think Jesus is. And uh, Jesus begins to refer to uh, his father Abraham. He tells the Jews before Abraham, uh, "You know, Abraham, you know, looked to see my day and rejoiced." They understood that to mean. Jesus and Abraham were th- alive at the same time. You're, you're not yet 50 years old. How could you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus' response is before Abraham was, I am. And we took time to walk through, that's what God says about himself. That's God's business card. Uh, that's his name, I am creator, existing one of all things. So when Jesus says, I am with no predicate, When he says, I am, instead of saying, I am the bread, or I am the water, the living water, uh, I am the gate, connecting himself with some Old Testament allusion or picture. When he just says, I am, and he just leaves it there, um, they picked up rocks to throw at Jesus, to stone him, because they knew he was asking and demanding allegiance as if he were god Hmm. and so
0: he does the same thing when he's arrested too doesn't he he says mm -hmm. uh, he's they they ask what jesus who are you looking for jesus of nazareth i'm he which is the same phrase ego me and he and they fall back on the ground and it's john is kind of giving us that same picture again Mm -hmm. is that here's what happens when you try to arrest god in flesh Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so it there's a difference between
1: Jesus saying, I'm like God, I'm holy like God, I'm good like God, um, but actually saying I am mm. you know and being able to say, you know, to look at my congregation on Sunday morning in the eyes with clarity and say, Jesus is saying that he is God. Mm-hmm. Not that he is like God, that he has some godly qualities, but that he is God. And we brought up mm. the Nicene uh, uh, Creed. We brought up the Athanasian Creed. We brought up other things in history. We brought up the epistles. This is the testimony of the church. This is not a new—it's uh, not even a Reformed—merely uh, a Reformed doctrine. Uh, no, this is
0: a Christian doctrine. Yep. Yeah, this is Christian. Yeah, I, I mean and in fact, I would even I would even go as far as to say is that that it what well, is distinctively Christian, of course. And anyone that would be defined as like a cult or uh, you know, I, I was I'm thinking Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or whatever. They're going to muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. And they're going to start changing the definition of Jesus. So, for instance, like you would have, um, you would have uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses in John one one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was a God, mm-hmm. which would break the boundaries of how even Athanasius mm-hmm. or the Nicene Creed uh-huh. or many other uh, creeds have sought to define. The Trinity or sought to kind of help us understand mm-hmm. the language of you know the the New Testament text mm-hmm. on Jesus that uh they've basically now made him uh, made God th- I don't know about the Holy Spirit but have made him at least two Lords two gods mm-hmm. and um instead of instead of one God in three persons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, invariably you see them changing the definition of mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah.
1: And you will find uh every religion tends to love Jesus. Yeah. They he's a peaceful person. Uh in Buddhism he's an enlightened person, in Islam he is a virgin born uh messiah, prophet, resurrected man in uh the Baha'i faith Jesus is um uh you know someone who has reincarnated himself into holiness uh and he has a divine spark in him although albeit like the rest of mankind um but what what you won't say what they will not say is that he is God. Like God, divine ish but not that he is God. And you just can't get away from the Scriptures saying explicitly, uh, like you mentioned Colossians, the fullness of God in him. Like the, the language and the words won't let us say anything less than that he is God of God, light mm. of light, almighty yeah. of almighty.
0: Which, that's what I love about the Nicene Creed, the language of the Nicene Creed is, uh, you know, obviously, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Um, I think that that phrase is just is incredibly helpful, mm-hmm. being of one substance with the Father. Um, one substance, or it could also be translated, one essence with the Father. And I've always used that line to help people just be able to wrap, first, wrap their mind around what we're saying about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also help them to kind of break apart all the illustrations that might be bouncing around in their head mm-hmm. is that line being of one essence or one substance with the father mm-hmm. which is entirely different than any of those illustrations seek to depict mm-hmm. and i think i think it's i just think it's really helpful
1: yeah yeah i think so too and what I think some questions come up for you. know, We've got Easter coming up. We've got Christ going to the cross. Um, our our elders presented a document. I should have sent it to you. Uh, a document on a song uh, that we sang a few weeks ago, and that we uh, we will very likely not sing again for various reasons. But um, in the in the it's called His Robes for Mine. I don't know if you've heard that song. I think I might have showed it to you before. But he's got a phrase, There's a phrase in the chorus that. Uh, says, uh, you know, Christ forsaken for us, uh, God estranged from God. Did we talk about this already?
0: Hmm. I think we've we've talked about it, yeah, right. just privately. I don't think we've talked yeah,
1: about it. Yeah, so here, we, as elders brought that up, uh, our associate helped write a wonderful response to it. Our elders looked at it, reviewed it, and uh, we gave it to the church. as kind of a you know, th- we don't use that word, God, estranged from God. It doesn't make sense to us. It's not biblical. It's not historical. Uh, it's not familiar. It raises more questions than it does give answers. Uh, it mm-hmm. distracts more than it clearly communicates what we believe uh, doctrinally. So we've mm-hmm. said, we're, we're not going to sing it. We're not going to sing that line. It doesn't make sense to us. It's better just to let it go. But it brought up a great question, uh, and it stirred my mind in the process. Can God be estranged from God? When Jesus died on the cross, did um, did God unbecome God? Was God separated from God? Did Jesus going into the grave mean the Trinity was two-thirds for a few days? Did uh, Was God dead for three days? Jesus is God, so is God dead? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that if you're... If you're walking down the Trinity line and you get to the cross where Jesus dies, now you've got a new set of questions. Okay, so I'll, I'll buy it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Spirit is God. Son is God. Uh, the Father is God. They're all God. They're three in one. Then you get to the cross and Jesus dies and is hmm. dead, not breathing. Three days. What do we, what do, we do with that? Does it? matter for us for the sake of the gospel? Does it change the gospel at all? Does it only matter theologically? And what do we say? What do we say
0: actually happened? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you understand what's being said about the Trinity, then I don't think seeing jesus die on the cross is really a problem for you i think if you're a modalist it's a big problem because god's dead for three days and if you're you know um uh i don't know what what potentially other scenario might cause some significant issues in your theology if you're a heretic but certainly all of these heresies promote some sort of misunderstanding about the cross and bring up tons of theological problems. Oh, okay. Arianism is another one. Um, Arianism is basically the idea that kind of the, what they call the original heresy, which sort of defines uh, Jesus as n- as never fully God. Um, and in which case you have a problem with even the significance of the cross. Mm-hmm. What What is the cross? What does it actually accomplish? Practically nothing, because Arianism would say he, he wasn't God. He was sort of adopted, you know, as God's son, mm-hmm. in, in a manner of speaking. Mm-hmm. And so all of these heresies are going to run into a brick wall when they hit the cross. But I think if we're understanding the Trinity right— and we're understanding that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Um, and then, it, then His words to the thief on the cross: "Today you will be with me in paradise." While His body gives up the gives up the ghost and goes into the grave, I think that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think He ever stops being. The eternal Son of God. Mm-hmm. Nor do I think there was a moment where the eternal Son of God ceased to be God, or ceased to be the eternal Son of God. I do think His body died, and I think He went; His soul went to be with the with the Lord. Um, so, which I think is indicated by His statement to the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think if we understand Jesus rightly and we understand the Trinity correctly. At least in as far as it's been represented to us in scripture and and backed up by the creeds of the past then i don't think we really have a problem Mm -hmm. and i mean maybe i'm oversimplifying it but it just doesn't seem like it's that difficult to understand when it comes to the cross
1: it's just not that difficult to understand
0: um i mean i don't mean to say that like in an arrogant way like i'm saying that what has been presented to us in scripture uh And what has been presented to us in the creeds, as much as they reflect what has been represented in Scripture, mm-hmm. I think is, is it, it's sort of um, can, can can I say like maybe bare bones to some extent is like it, it, there hasn't been you know much in terms of much much beyond um, he's the, the exact imprint of his nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. The Father is greater than I. Um, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in as much as Scripture has represented it this way in very short, succinct sentences, the creeds have backed that up, uh, being of one substance with the Father, um, defining it as three persons, one essence. Um, then, and, and like you had read with the Athanasian Creed, I, I think all of those things are short pithy, very succinct sentences that, that that are grounded in Scripture, and that they really don't speculate much beyond that. I think those statements are relatively easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to the cross, you don't really have much of a difficulty in at least being able to describe it or maybe wrap your mind around it or explain it, because, well, To be honest with you, not tons of information has been given to us. You know, it is as much as we need to know, I guess, is Mm -hmm. the way that I think about it.
1: Um, You know, an important passage for Easter is um, that moment where Christ uh, gives up his spirit. He's about to breathe his last, and he cries out, The sky has darkened, the earth has shaken, and Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? how do we understand that in a trinitarian and 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 keep our trinitarian doctrine intact for Christ to cry out why have you forsaken me isn't doesn't that mean that the great cry of dereliction as it's called is Jesus experiencing the forsakenness uh his turning his back on his son uh, this is the rupture of the trinity um how do we how do we answer that?
0: But I think I think if if we understand the connection that Jesus is making there on the cross to Psalm twenty two, mm-hmm. then I think that informs how we understand what he means by the word forsaken.
1: So we we have to rule out. I think he means forsaken. What are you what are you getting at?
0: Well, let me back up i think we have to rule out any conclusion that would have us say jesus was at that point not god mm-hmm. or at that point he had no connection to the godhead whatsoever mm-hmm. i think you have to rule those things out because I, I i think that would i mean really defy what what is meant by the trinity its, itself i mean like you, you couldn't really understand the Trinity, or or I think it would falsify some of Jesus's statements earlier on about uh, who he is in relation to the Father. Um, So I don't think we could ever understand it as he ceased to be God at that moment, uh, or that he was completely absent or disconnected from the Trinitarian Godhead. So I think you'd have to rule those interpretations out. Mm -hmm. I think when you get to psalm 22 and you read what david is saying there and about uh, him being surrounded by enemies um, about his forsakenness being uh, overcome by the sinful humanity of the world um, then i think that helps us to understand the kind of forsakenness jesus is talking about on the cross Mm -hmm. and uh, clearly, we we understand that he's facing the full force of God's wrath as well, mm-hmm. which would be seen as uh, in the same way David means it in in Psalm twenty two. Um, so I think you know he's at the tip of the spear of the pagan armies, and David is, and Jesus finds himself in the same situation, and I think it's a, it's his way of saying what David wrote about. Da- David was. Talking about me when he wrote this, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's helpful to understand what his um, what his forsakenness really means there on the cross. And I think probably people have gone too far uh, with understanding his forsakenness to to the point where it, it does almost kind of confuse it confuse us as to what uh, what Jesus actually becomes in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that's helpful f- is
1: to go back to the. Eternality of the Son and the incarnation. Uh, there was not a time when Christ was not. Jesus right. is credited with creation in Colossians one. All things were made by, through, and for Him. John one one through four. There is not, nothing has come to being that has not come to being through Him. But then in John one fourteen, that Word that was with God and is God becomes flesh. It, it enjoys a participation in creation that neither the Father fully enjoys nor the Spirit fully enjoys, to become enfleshed, to come yeah, into flesh. Yeah, he actually flesh. took on flesh. Took on flesh. And yeah. so when Jesus died on the cross, he is maintaining his... Um, uh, what's I was thinking of a phrase from uh, Bavings. I can't think of it now, but to... Um, Two persons, anyway. So he is, he is both God and man. And when he goes to the cross, yeah. he goes to the cross as God incarnate, uh, the Son yeah. incarnate. Um, yeah. And so when he dies and he cries out, "Why have my God? Why have you forsaken me?" Uh, I mean, first of all, it's obvious he is not experiencing God's forsaking uh, him because of his own sin. It's our right. sin that he is enjoying. Our sin that he is. Taking on himself, therefore, the wrath that maybe he, enjoying
0: is not the right word, but I get what you're saying.
1: Technically, okay, it's it is yeah. a uh, it's our sin that he's taken on himself. It's our right. wrath that he is experiencing, and so, yeah. uh, and 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 I think um, Calvin talked about it this way: that he is not just technically calling out to fulfill Scripture Psalm 22. He actually is right. experiencing separation from God. Christ felt himself forsaken. He felt the estrangement from God as a man. Right? He experienced uh, man's separation from God as a man. But yeah, he never too, yeah. unbecame who he, what, or who he is. Right. It was impossible. And, and it really right. is actually the thing that makes the cross, you know, makes us believe that the cross actually paid for our sins, that the yeah. blood that was spilt is actually good, pure, holy, and could actually wash away my sins, because it's not a, it's not another man like me sin, uh, a death. Right. It's not another flesh like me. It's actually God Himself coming to put Himself under. You know, put himself in the rock uh, to be stricken right. in order to give life. He's the only one right. who could do it, God right. incarnate. No other man could possibly do it. You know, it's, he, right. there, we, we would all be blemished lambs uh, being laid there. So in, in in terms of his human nature, absolutely. He was, he felt separated from God. In in terms of his divine self, person, nature, never once was there a fissure between uh, the Father and the Son. In fact, the 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 death on the cross was the propitiation of God's wrath. It was the
0: absolution. Which is why the phrase "God estranged from God" or is that what it is? God. Yeah, in the song, it's "God
1: estranged from God." It's it's like it's not. You you could do your gymnastics and make it true. Right, that yeah, Jesus his God and he was estranged from God, but the Bible doesn't talk that way.
0: We don't but it's, and it's super confusing right. because you're you're right. His begotten his uh sorry, his uh his estrangement or his forsakenness is is in the sense of David's forsakenness right. in Psalm twenty two, as a man who's bearing sins um from God forsaken. Right. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. So yeah. to me, the incarnation helps because it, it 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 keeps both in and uh, in, tension is probably not the right word, but keeps them both in their place. Uh, who Christ is, He is eternal, and yet He came in time. He is God, and yet He became in flesh. Uh, it, right. That is, uh, if your trinitarianism starts there, follows through His life, then when you get to the cross, you you have maintained. This is God in flesh. This is Christ incarnate. Um, Therefore, he is two things at once. Uh, So, two things at once are happening on the cross. When he dies, two things are happening at once. Um, Right. So, to to me, that's the incarnation helps me clarify uh, what was, what actually happened on the cross when he died and what makes it effectual for the forgiveness of our sins. It is the Mm. effectiveness of Christ on the cross for our sins. If he's only a man on the cross for our sins, it's no good. Uh, uh, It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said it like this, If he is not God, uh, then he is of no use to us. But if he was not man, he is of no use to us. The only way the cross can be good for us is if he is God, and only God could afford by his holiness, uh, by his righteousness, to actually pay for our sin uh, by laying down his life, a righteous life, for ours. There's no other way a life could be righteous to lay down for man, than than God Himself be it, and and do it uh, after the fall of Adam.
0: I think that's why it's it's so important too that we at least even have conversations regularly, inside our churches with our congregation, with other members of our body, about the the Trinity, getting deep into the woods even of how we understand the the three one and one and that kind of thing because it, it brings so much to bear on the cross itself mm-hmm. where we can because like you said we it, it's going to be really difficult for us to understand if we if if Christ is not truly God going to the cross makes no sense to us we're gonna run off the rails if God is, if if Jesus is not truly man mm-hmm. going to the cross, it's we're gonna run off the rails. Mm-hmm. Hence, all of the heretics of the past have gotten to the cross and been like, eh. mm-hmm. you know, it's all been super muddy and fuzzy, and uh, he kind of represents, and he sort of leads, and he sort of points, and he gives us an illustration, and da da da, and mm-hmm. they sort of kind of dance around all these different things that Jesus has done. Mm-hmm. But sorry, if he's not absorbing the wrath of God for my sin, I don't know what real help him dying on the cross actually is for me. Mm-hmm. And and but but what we find in Scripture is that's exactly what he did. But it has to be from that hypostatic union of of being truly God and truly man mm-hmm. um, that that we actually understand what's taking place on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. That this person, Jesus, the God-Man, can actually say, "I am, uh, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yet he can cry out on the cross, "Why have you forsaken me?" Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, and so we have categories for actually being able to wrap our mind around those things, and and believe those things, and um, cherish those things, and actually celebrate those things. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, it actually means something for our salvation, that he died for us, mm-hmm. and it's only through him that we have forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's been a challenge to me to think about through going through uh, the God-estranged-from-God ideal, um, thinking about that. And I've been studying Ephesians a lot. We have a group that's going through Ephesians every other Tuesday. We did Ephesians, Simeon Trust, and Graham uh, this year. And... I've been challenged to be more careful about noticing the Trinity working together in passages Uh and how often they're together. So like you mentioned the baptism Mm -hmm. of Christ where the the Father is giving the affirmation, the Spirit is descending on the Son. They're all three together. Ephesians chapter 1, the Father adopts, the Son gives the blood, the Spirit does the sealing. In Ephesians 2.22, um, God is building a dwelling place for those who have faith in the Son by the Spirit. We, uh, just, and it just goes on and on. They're just all through Scripture where they are working in tandem and in, uh And we see the Trinitarian work. Uh, and to be watching for places where the Spirit does things only God can do. Uh, in regards to washing away sin and bringing us from death to life, um, these are these are the power of the. This is the power of the Spirit. This is the power of God, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's there more often than I think I have been careful to notice and teach when I'm preaching.
0: And it's cha- so. What about the Old Testament? Huh. So what about the Old Testament?
1: <sighs> Too late in the podcast, man. I. <laughs> 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 that was a great response. <laughs> to, to, what I'm saying is, I need a week to answer that question. Next week can be Trinity and Old Testament. We definitely okay? this, should. This one's we definitely
0: should t- come back to Trinity Part Two. Jesus in this the one New, just Old got Testament. changed
1: to Trinity in the New Testament as a as the title.
0: <laughs> yes, it sure did. <laughs> Part one, where we address the sequel before. <laughs> th- <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but I. Yeah, it's been a
1: challenge, and I, and I, that's a great example. Like even the Spirit, uh, the work of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, is is a challenge. It's there from Genesis one, the uh, the plural of Elohim, uh, the one who created, is a little bit of a. Confusion for Jews uh, in Genesis chapter one. The 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 plural name the the, the plural word for God created. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm kind of going down the track I was trying to avoid, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's been helpful for me to be thinking and looking for it, and uh, and not try to find it where it's not there, but try to be aware. Uh, it's there and it matters in the gospel. You, mm-hmm. you. This is not. And I think that's the helpful thing is that the, the Trinity, the nature of the Trinity, the work of the Trinity, who Christ is, his relationship to God the Father, the relationship to the Spirit, is not kind of you know tenth page doctrinal statement. Uh, well, we ought to say something about that. It's more front page. This is part of the gospel without this there is no good news yeah uh centrality Christian so,
0: doctrine so let me ask you let me ask you this how do you so if we are to get practical in these last few minutes mm-hmm. here uh, how would you encourage joe member of your congregation has five six seven year eight eight year old kids to teach his children about the trinity mm-hmm This comes up all the time in our house. I say, we talk about it all the time. Um, I I mean, I would say probably I have this, sometimes I feel like I have this conversation once a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anytime Jesus is brought up, the question is like, wait, how is he God? And how is he also man? And how is it when he dies, God doesn't also die? And... We have questions in and around those topics all the time, and my kids are five, seven, and nine. Mm-hmm. So Joe Member has kids about my kid's age. They're starting to kind of wrap their mind around Christianity. How would you tell a parent to teach their kids what the Trinity is?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I would say the problem is, probably is if you begin with oh my gosh i gotta teach my kids the trinity you probably started on the wrong foot to begin with teach about god the father so
0: you're telling me i'm a bad parent basically (laughs) (laughs) i'm coming to you i'm like nathan how do i teach my kids and you're like you're a bad parent (laughs) first of all so i i think sweet we're off to a good start especially the younger the child
1: um let the doctrine of the trinity questions raise up from teaching truths about god um you know uh who is god is god the same as the spirit so uh, baptist catechism might be a good way to do that where you're teaching doctrines that bring up these questions first and um uh, uh, teaching them um then uh, I would say if you're, you know, answering this question for children, I mean, obviously we've already said at the beginning of this episode that you want to avoid uh, trying to explain it with uh, earthly, worldly illustrations that fall short because you want to try to get to, you want to simplify the understanding rather than letting there be some wonder and some awe and some, I can't understand, but I know these things are true. So as a parent, it's your job to help children maintain what is mysterious and say what is true and our job is not to say god is the father the father is god the son is god the spirit is god and oh let me take away all the mystery for you by turning it into a plant no say the things that are true and when your child says dad that doesn't make sense uh just say well do you think they're true yeah well then let's just leave them true and keep living in wonder and awe and exploring all that that means. Um, the other thing I would do is listen to this podcast. The next thing I would do, <laughs> the next thing I would do, would say, um, you know, look at the look at the creeds that we mentioned: the Nicene Creed, uh, the Athanasian Creed uh, is even more explicit. Uh, see if that language helps you tell your child, "Well, these things are true." Uh, these things are not um, uh, so yeah I would avoid illustrations say what the Bible's saying uh, and but the, the, I think the main thing would be rooted in scripture go find the language of scripture and use the language of scripture and don't use your own language and try to back it up with scripture uh, I don't know that that's even a common problem when it comes to the Trinity but um, but, I mean, we haven't even gotten to this point, the fact that the Trinity itself is, I mean, Trinity, the word, is a descriptive word of biblical doctrine. You know, you don't mm-hmm. find the word Trinity or Trinitar- Trinitarianism or something like that in Scripture. Um, so maybe avoid using that word itself uh, and just say what Scripture says. Uh, take your kids back to the Word and say, son, I don't know, um, but I know Jesus said I am. And I know the Word became flesh, and I know all things were created by, through, and for Him, and I know the Spirit does things that only God can do. So is the Spirit God, according to Titus 2? Uh Uh-huh. Is Jesus God, according to John 8 and John 1? Uh Uh-huh. Is the Father God, because He creates and knows and orchestrates history? Uh Uh-huh.
0: There you go. Well, and... Yeah, and two, I think, and maybe this is part of my bad parenting, um, I think it's helpful to just continue to reiterate the very short and concise affirmations that we can say, and just to know that a lot of our understanding of the Trinity is going to come in the form of denials. So we're going to affirm a few things Mm -hmm. about God, and we're going to deny a lot of bad things sure. about uh, bad descriptions of god so as an example i think a really good summary is there is one god mm-hmm. god is three persons mm-hmm. each person is fully god so we, we those three three truths basically kind of summarize exactly what you just said and then knowing that i'm going to have to correct in the denial portion of that mm-hmm. a lot of bad assumptions lot of things that infringe upon those three points Mm -hmm. there is one god god is three persons each person is fully god Mm -hmm. so is jesus part of god here's the three leaf clover Mm -hmm. no absolutely not that's not what we mean right and saying what because that is not representing that one petal as one god Mm -hmm. it's representing as three or parts of one god and it's not saying each person is fully God, you know. And on and on we go through all of the illustrations. So just knowing that you're going to be able to affirm only the things that Scripture affirms, but then you're going to spend a lot of your time denying the kind of common assumptions that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these analogies and different ways of describing the Trinity actually kind of uh, infringe upon. Yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would say the other thing would be, you know, uh, if, if you're a parent um, thinking about it either for your children or even for yourself, if your level of thinking is three-leaf clover and illustrations about eggs and water and that's that kind of does it for you, um, maybe don't give that to your kids. Maybe step back and realize. I, I Maybe I need to do some reading and deepen my own thinking about uh, looking through. You probably want to find articles on this. You might not want to try to read the entire thing. You
0: need to watch the modalism Patrick video. I mean, watch them. The kind of you can show it to your kids. Absolutely. I'll link it in the show notes. You can just scroll on over the show notes. You can click on the link. It's worth. You can watch the, it, and I've shown it to my it's kids. Worth my kids the kids accent alone. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's modalism,
1: Patrick. Um, Communion with the Triune God by John Owen. It's a big, thick work, but you could find sections in there. You could probably find summaries. Uh, there's a great, great, great work by Michael Reeves. It's shorter. It's readable. It's called The Lighting in the Trinity, and it uh, just walks through uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and enjoys it and explains it, uh, and gives the biblical background for it. Um, there's a few others like that. That would probably be the most accessible uh, resource that I'm aware of. That would be that would get you just from uh, kind of thinking, okay, I understand the Trinity, to Michael Reeves is trying to help exalt and enjoy, and as he says, delight in the Trinity. He calls it an introduction to the Christian faith itself. So you know, think about reading for yourself to kind of get your own your own bearings straight on uh, how you understand the Trinity.
0: I can link all those in the show notes as well. So anybody listening can scroll on over there and find plenty of access. Absolutely, And the YouTube video. I can't underscore that enough (laughs) if you haven't seen it. It's really helpful. Yeah.
1: All right. I think this is posting the week before Easter. Hope you have a great Easter, man. Great talking to you. See you next week. Yeah,
0: man. And next time we'll talk about Jesus in the Old Testament, (laughs) which is... Right. Which is great. Yeah, I'm
1: excited. Ex- I have to go do some reading. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> I can sense the excitement in your voice about it. So, <laughs> All right. right. See I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.